Now, before I read the text, I, I, I was sitting down there thinking, y'all want, to, I want you to preach. Y'all hear me preach all the time, so I want you to preach for just a couple of minutes. I'm going to make a statement, and I want some of you to uh, fill the blank in, all right? And uh, so are you ready to do that? And so this is, I mean, you can actually respond, okay, to the preacher in this. Here's the statement I want to make. I thank God for, and then I want you to fill the blank in. So somebody fill that blank in. I thank God for everything, all right? Amen. I thank God for everything. He is before all things, the Bible says, and in Him all things hold together. Somebody else, I thank God for? Okay, y'all going to have to raise your hands. All right, all right, Marlon. For mercy, I thank God for His mercy. Amen to that, right? All right, I thank God for, on this side of the room, for the salvation provided in Christ. Amen to that. Mercy and salvation go together. Anybody in the balcony, I thank God for, anybody up there? It's a bunch of you sleeping up there. Y'all think I can't see you, but I can. <laughs> and I can especially hear you when you hit your head on the chair in front of you. When you... Who? Family, Gordine. Is that Gordine? Oh, who said that? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Family. <laughs> Okay, I, she said, do y'all hear what she said? Yeah, she said, this is Gordine, but I didn't say that. All right. Uh, y'all all looked a little different with your mask on. Um, somebody else, I thank God for? Grace. I thank God for grace. Grace and mercy and salvation. Family. And what over here? Marriage. All right, you said my wife at first, right, didn't you? Both, marriage and my wife. All right, okay. Well, y'all got that straightened out. Good, so you won't be in the doghouse, right? I thank God for, in the way, way back in the back, life. Amen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Greg? My Savior. I thank God for my Savior. Amen. That's why we praise Him like we do uh, in this place. Somebody else, y'all are, y'all are doing good. You're preaching good. Keeping me, on the right path. Keeping me on the right path, amen? Somebody else, I thank God for? I'm sorry? Oh, getting her home from Houston and getting her through the whole ordeal. That's a story, but got her home. Yeah, amen. Jeremy? The glory of his name. Wow. Isn't that good? Somebody else, I thank God for? Where? His Word. Yeah, Matt, thank. I thank God for His Word. Amen. That's the source book for us as we've been talking about. Pam? Sending His Son to die for us. Uh, he, did, he paid a debt He didn't owe. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. I needed what, Bradley? Someone... To take my sins away. That, that ought to be a chorus, don't you think? Yeah. What were you going to say? <clears throat> like we said, I love that song, My Testimony. When, when Bradley told me they were working on that a couple months ago, I said, man, that's one of my favorite songs. This is my testimony. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. I mean, that whole song is worth that line. If, I, if I'm not dead, you're not done with me. By the way, they're working on one for Easter. Another one of my faves, they're working on for Easter. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is awesome. It is awesome. Um, okay, uh, uh, just a couple more. Uh, I thank God for? Darcy. Oh, freedom to be here and to worship. Amen. Yeah, big time. A couple more. This church. Amen. I thank God for this church. Precious memories. Memories are good things, aren't they? Solomon talked about memories in Ecclesiastes and how important our memories are, our good memories are. Okay, buddy, what, what you got? For your who? Your pets. Okay, I, I got a pet I'm thankful for most, most of the time. <laughs> Y'all know when I'm not thankful for. Okay, all right. All right, anybody else? Over oh, here. Y'all hang on. I'm, I've got you. His, you. His willingness to come down and His willingness, look, think about this, to take on flesh and come into our world. That's pretty, 
pretty significant, right? Leaving, Paul said he left his throne and he didn't think it was uh, being robbed to leave the throne of God and to take on human flesh, though we treated him like a robber. That's good. Okay. His unending love, his love is unfailing. I'll end my message by talking about that. His unending love. Aren't you glad that he just loves us no matter who we are? He just he loves us. Isn't that cool? All right? Okay, that has nothing to do with the message. It really doesn't. But I just was down there, and while we are praising God, I thought, you know what, I'm going to let the people praise God with their own lips and tell us what they're grateful for, what they're thankful for. And so thank you for sharing a, a little bit of that. Now, let's get into our series, and today I want to begin talking about another of the myths that I, I really believe lead to a great deal of misbelief and misbehavior in our culture because we've bought into it. You know, we're all products of our belief. Really, this series is about that. We're all products of our belief, and beliefs uh, shape us. They shape the way we see the world. They, they shape our decisions. They shape our future. Uh, we're all the product of our beliefs. And when it comes to uh, beliefs that mislead us uh, or error or lies, we often accept some of those imperceptibly. In other words, they're not real aggressive. They just, over time, they weave their way into our thoughts or our actions uh, or the way we behave. And it happens uh, over time. It's not real in your face. It's just kind of subtly how it occurs. And, and the problem is, if we don't know the truth, we swallow a lot of myths uh, slowly, imperceptibly, and then we, we don't recognize what danger and what effects they have on us. And that's why the basis for your beliefs is so important. Several years ago, uh, I was speaking in Canada. I was in an area called Banff. It's the most beautiful part of the world I've ever been to. And I was at a conference center. I was speaking there, and there was a friend who was also on the program speaking and we had a day off, an afternoon off, and we decided to drive over the Canadian Rockies to Vancouver, which is on the other side from where we were. And so uh, we were making this trip up through the Rockies. It's beautiful driving across these Canadian Rockies. It was about an hour trip over and, and back. And, and, of course, you get to a certain point where you crest, the, that, at least where the roads go through. And when we got up to that kind of place, there was a big area where you could pull off. And there's a big sign there, and it said Continental Divide, the Great Continental Divide. And so we got our picture there at the sign, the Great Continental. Do you know what the Continental Divide is all about? Are you familiar with Continental Divide, what that means? The Continental Divide means this. It means everything on one side of the divide, rain, streams, rivers, all the water on one side of the divide run into the Atlantic Ocean. And literally, all the rain, the streams, the water on the other side run to the Pacific. And so it's the great watershed. And, and you could literally, or technically, I guess you'd say, I could move here and say I'm on this side of the Continental Divide, and everything runs to the Atlantic. I step across right here, just steps, and it's the other side, and everything runs to the Pacific. There's a dichotomy. And... Um, it's pretty neat. We got a picture made, all that kind of stuff. But I got to thinking about that, and that's kind of like beliefs, you know. Uh, beliefs have a way of separating us from either truth or error. One is truth. One is error. If they're not both. Well, this is a mixture of, of both. You're either, you either get truth or you get untruth. You get truth or you get myth. You get truth or you get a lie. All right? And it all comes down on what is the continental divide spiritually. And you know what the continental divide spiritually is? It's what God says. So the Word of God becomes kind of like the continental divide, a spiritual watershed for us. Now, with that in mind, you remember when we began this series, I talked about the foundations that you build your life on, okay? That's important. I told you that the first several messages all uh, were in a specific order. In other words, it wasn't random, let's talk about this, now let's talk about that. We will do that with some of the other myths, but the first few were very important. The first was about the foundations. you got to lay the right foundation. Then we, for the last three weeks, we've been talking about the Scripture, right? The importance of Scripture, the veracity of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, why we, we, we believe and, 
and why you have to settle the issue about the Scripture. Today I want to talk with you about a third matter, foundations, Scripture, and then origins. Where do we come from? Uh, and, and, and what do we believe about that? That is important in the sequence. First you've got to get the Word of God because you've got to have a source, right, for what you believe. Then you start comparing what you believe against the source. But this one is important and the order is important because you need to understand that you are more than a product of chance. And I want that to seek in for a second. You need to understand that you're not just an accident that is the result of lightning striking some primordial soup full of amino acids and proteins and something uh, crawling out of the pool and then on and on and on it goes until finally, you know, you're a high-class chimpanzee. Uh, one preacher said it this way. He said, some of my relatives hung by their neck, but none of them hung by their tail. And you have to understand where you came from because if you don't understand your origins, if you accept what has now become a common idea and a common teaching uh, in education and in media uh, and in our culture is that you and I are the product of evolution. We just got here by random chance and natural selection. And you see, if that's the case, it means there's no creator. Now listen very carefully to the two things I'm going to talk about today because it is vital that you understand that you are not a product of chance, that, that you are not just an, uh, uh, an accident that, that came. You are complex. You were intricately designed, the Scripture says, and you were designed on purpose by your Creator. And that changes everything about your life. It changes not only everything about your life now, it changes everything about eternity that follows. And so that's kind of the premise that we are we're, we're working for. And the Scripture gives us the, the, the truth. And by the way, next week I'm going to talk in part B of this message, I'm going to talk about uh, a couple more things, but I'm going to also spend some time on, so why, did, why are you created? What did God create you for? But uh, the, the idea that we just kind of evolved from a primordial soup, or by the way, a big bang. You've heard about the big bang, you know, that there was this cosmic bang, and from it the stars and the planets formed, and, and from that, you know, um, um, certain chemical reactions happened on, for example, the planet Earth, but all of this kind of uh, sprung about from a bang. Nobody ever asked this question. Where did the elements that banged come from? And oftentimes we're told, well, you know, the universe always was there. Well, who put it there? You know, it never gets past that. Well, uh, the fact is uh, we hear a lot of that in our schools today. We hear it in uh, the media, uh, and, and it's generally accepted in what you might call, and I don't mean this as an insult, but pop scientists. We have a lot of pop scientists today who are not what I call deep scientists, but they're, they're just the scientists that, uh, that essentially take and espouse what the deep uh, or what the deep ideas uh, about creation are. And uh, they haven't really delved deeply into it like, like a level of scientists that I'll share with you in just a minute have. I mean, we're talking about guys like Bill Nye, the science guy, all right, who are far more about a media image than they are science. Now, on the other hand, pop science tends to to overlook that there are a lot of secular and even, listen to this, atheistic and agnostic scientists who admit that evolution is only a theory, and at best, it is a tenuous theory. I, I'm talking about highly respected international scientists. I'm talking about scientists on the Nobel level who said evolution is a theory, a shaky one at best. We don't hear a lot about these guys, but these are deep science guys. I'm talking about guys like Michael Behe. I've got a book in my library by him. He is a, a professor of biological sciences at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. He's a senior fellow uh, at Discovery's, uh, Discovery Institute for, uh, Center for Science and Culture. He wrote a book called Darwin's Black Box. It talks about uh, irreducible complexity of just the eye. 
that there are so many parts, complex parts in the eye, that if, if just one of them doesn't come together at, at the right way, the eye can never form. And he talks about just take that, and, and it, the, the irreducible complexity of the eye uh, eliminates the possibility of you getting here by accident. It's that complex, and so it took that much intelligence for it to form. It couldn't have just happened by itself. His book, Darwin's Black Box, I highly recommend it. Um, Michael Denton, who is an agnostic at best, uh, and at least for many years, if not still uh, an atheist, uh, I have a, one of his books. It rocked the scientific community years ago when it came out. I have it in my library. It's called Evolution, A Theory and Crisis. He's a Ph.D. biochemist from King's College in London uh, and also a senior fellow at Discovery's uh, Institute uh, and Center for Science and Culture. Or how about a guy like Roy Peacock, who is a visiting professor of aerospace science at the University of Pisa, another book that I have. He is an expert in thermodynamics. I'll talk about thermodynamics a little bit later. I know you can't wait. He wrote a book called A Brief History of Eternity. Robert Carter, a Ph.D. professor of marine biology, University of Miami, and an expert in DNA and protein links. Jonathan uh, Safardi, uh, who is a Ph.D. professor of physical chemistry in uh, Victoria University in uh, uh, Wellington, New Zealand, wrote a book entitled Refuting Evolution. By the way, the number one best-selling creation book in all time. Uh, or how about Professor Jim Mason, PhD in experimental nuclear physics and an expert in radiometric dating. He's a professor at McMaster University in Canada. Or, or Emil Silvestru, a PhD in geology, an expert in the fossil record, a professor at the University of Romania. John Hartnett, PhD in physics, an expert in cosmology, a professor of physics at the University of Western Australia, and a man who's now dead, but a prolific uh, writer, A.E. Wilder Smith, three earned PhDs in physical and organic uh, chemistry and uh, pharmacology. He was a professor for years of chemistry at the University of Geneva, wrote an outstanding book, uh, Man's Origin, Man's Destiny. I highly recommend the writings of these guys. I didn't quote all of their writings, and I didn't tell you about all of these deep, heavy-duty, internationally respected scientists. I just gave you a sampling, and I did that to say so many of us today are told that all the scientists believe evolution to be a fact. It's just not true. All the scientists that, that you hear in pop culture, but the deep scientist, it's amazing. One of my favorite books in my library is a book called Intellectuals Speak Out About God. It's just chapter after chapter after chapter of intellectuals. Not all of them evangelical Christians, but at least just saying uh, there has to be an intelligence behind the design of uh, our lives and earth. That's just a sampling. I could go on and on. My point is that there's a great deal of serious science and scientists who refute, who refute evolution and refuse to swallow the cultural myth that we are here by accident and that we're just the product of evolution and natural selection. Now, here's how the myth goes. Did I put the myth on your outline? Is it on, the, is, is it on your outline? The myth is this. Man was not divinely created but is merely the product of chance and evolution. Did I put that on your... Okay. Uh, all right. That's the myth that we live with today, and it is a misleading uh, myth. It is a myth that will cause you to misbelieve the things that are most important. You'll see before I'm done here today why it's so important to get it right. So that myth is something that today we're not only expected to believe, we are expected to accept that myth as, as scientific fact. But I think you'll see uh, through the Scripture this morning some clarity on the matter from God's Word. If you're physically able to do so, would you stand with me this morning as we read chapter 1, um, Romans, Paul writing uh, to these Roman believers, and he says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, hang on. Y'all look this way for a second. Do you understand when this... When you, when, you, when you miss the truth, guess what you'll do? He says it right there. You will suppress the truth so you can act unrighteously. Does that make sense? I'll, I'll ignore the truth or I'll suppress the truth so I can live in a way that is, uh, that is unrighteous. Okay, look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. One more time, look. 
You ever wonder about people who say, they, they, they don't have a church, they can't get to a church or someplace. You know what he, Paul just said? Stop worrying about those that haven't heard the message like you've heard it. God has revealed himself to them in nature. I don't have time, but I have some stories that confirm that. We've heard from missionaries in, in obscure places. Stop worrying about that. All right? Here's what, the Bible also says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying, that, that nature itself has already revealed to man who God is. Okay, look on verse uh, uh, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's a willful choice right there. Or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their, uh, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's what they did. Look at this. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Evolution does that. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, look, why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and what did they do? They worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Father, in this uh, time that we have together this morning, would you bless your word to us? Would you enlighten our hearts and our minds? Would you teach and instruct and correct us with your holy word? And God, help us not to be victimized by the lies of the enemy of our soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I could have preached this message, these next couple of messages, from several passages in the Scripture. I could have chosen Genesis 2 when man was actually created in the garden. I could have used that. I could have used Jeremiah chapter 1. I refer to these passages along the way. I could have used Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 where, where the Bible talks about that before we ever existed, God had already crafted us. I could use, and I will, I'll close with Psalm 139, as we'll talk about uh, today. There are a lot of places I could have gone, but I went to this passage, and here's why I went to this passage, because it reflects what happens to humanity when we exchange a truth for a myth. This passage shows us what happens when we exchange the truth for a myth, and, you, and if you notice, when you do that, everything gets twisted up. And that's why making sure we are operating by truth is so important. Uh, is our origin really important? You know, people sometimes say, well, is it does it really make a difference how we got here? We're here. Listen, friend, it makes all the difference in the world. And let me tell you one of the ways we know. The atheist understands if they can undermine how we got here, we have nothing to stand on. Right? In fact, listen to this quote from the American Atheist Magazine. It cuts to the chase. Y'all listening? Listen, listen to, to this quote, and I quote, Christianity has fought and still fights and will fight science to the desperate end over evolution because evolution destroys utterly and finally the very reason for Jesus. American Atheist said, we understand if you can propagate evolution, that's why Christians fight evolution is because they know uh, what we know, and that is if evolution is the truth, then there's no point in having Jesus Christ. And further, it goes on to say, um, Christ's earthly life was not even necessary if evolution is true. Destroy Adam and Eve and the original sin, and in the rubble you will find the sorry remains of the Son of God. It goes on to say, take away the meaning of his death, and if Jesus was not the Redeemer that died for our sins, and this, in and this is what evolution means, then Christianity is nothing. So is it important that we understand our creation creator? Yes, they understand it. They get it. The atheist understands. If you can show uh, some way or you can convince people that they're here as a product of chance, you dismantle the whole idea of needing a Redeemer. So, yes, it's very important. And that's the reason I want you to understand this. That's the reason this is so important. And because it's proliferated so well in our, in our culture today, we need to understand the truth about that. So let me, let me show you several things today, just two. First, I want you to see the unscientific declaration. 
Verses 21, 22, look, look at verse 22 in particular. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Have you heard some of, there's some foolish stuff that's being said by folks that are supposedly really smart out there. I mean, just turn on the news and say, how can you make that statement if you're as smart as you say you are? Now, let me show you something. Uh, the word fool there is a Greek word, moros. It really is. I'm, I mean, that's really the Greek word, moros. You guessed it. Here's what God is saying. He's saying when a person elevates their own wisdom over God's wisdom, it makes that person a moron. Now, you may say, preacher, I don't think you ought to say, take that up with God. I'm just, I'm the messenger. But that's what he said. When, when in our culture has elevated its wisdom above the wisdom of God, and God says, you're fools. And by the way, there's a lot of consequences I don't even have time to get into in this message, but there's a lot of consequences to that happening. He says, and so what does God do? He just gives us over to a reprobate mind, to do the things that are absolutely contrary to the things of God. And he goes on to talk about what those are. Now, the interesting thing today about evolution is, is it's being declared a, as a fact. But the truth is, evolution is only a theory. Now, when I was growing up, it was touched on lightly in the educational system, but it was, it was gaining some traction, but only as a theory. Here's a theory about how we, man uh, came uh, to be. It was only today, th th it's moved slowly beyond that, where today it's just simply taught and spoken of in our culture as this is a fact. We just, we all evolved. And um, if you push, however, an honest evolutionist, a person that's in, if you push them, if you push them enough, the honest evolution, uh, evolutionist will admit that it's just a theory. But it's not being communicated that way today. It's being communicated as if it were a fact. So on your outline there, what's, what, what is being taught? What is it uh, that's being taught today? Well, essentially and briefly, and I, I admit this is an oversimplification of, of the myth of evolution, but it will give you at least a framework to work from. Evolution teaches that you are merely the product of chance and random probability. You are a biological accident, in other words, uh, that randomly resulted from chemical elements that, that were electri electrically charged by impersonal forces. You see, evolution believes that non-living atoms slowly organize themselves into a complex, energy-rich life form, and over time, became reproductive and even more organized until a different kind of life emerged and so on and so on and so on and so on until voila here we are ironically though evolution the evolution of life becoming more complex actually undermines one of science's own laws did you know that that's the law of thermo the second law of thermodynamics the fact that evolution claims that, you know, we just keep getting better. And by the way, you have social Darwinism, economic uh, uh, Darwinism. You have all kinds of aspects that have uh, sprung up off of this. But in terms of just pure origin, uh, uh, evolution says we just keep, uh, you know, evolving, evolving. And we get better and different and all of those sorts of things. But the second law of thermodynamics, the scientific law, says that systems don't improve. They don't get better. They don't evolve to something better. They devolve. They get worse. They get worse and worse. That's why, by the way, scientists are telling us that the sun is burning out. Did y'all know that? They tell us that. They tell us it'll be 10 quintillion years or something to, before it burns out. But you know what they're saying? The solar system is not improving it's getting, it's dying. They'll tell us, well, the black holes, you know what the black holes are? They say, they tell us the universe is expanding, the, and they're the black holes. And one day the black holes go suck the stuff in, suck all the, the matter inside of it. That's devolving. That's not evolving. Do, have you ever noticed your washing machine doesn't get better with use? You know, say, gosh, we bought this thing, and uh, every year we have it, it becomes better and better and better. 
Your car doesn't improve in time, right? Your truck doesn't get, get better. You don't go, man, I've had this thing for 20 years, and it's running better now than it did the first year I had it. You know, it doesn't get better. It wears out. In fact, you get 200,000 miles in your vehicle, and you start going, every time I drive it, I'm going, something's got to happen soon. Why? Because systems run down. They don't run up. Evolution says we get better and better and better, and everything is still evolving. It actually argues against one of its own laws. Now, did y'all notice what I named the message? How many of you noticed what I named the message? One in a, see, y'all are just now looking to notice what I named the message. One in a billion trillion. You say, well, that's a clever little title, isn't it, preacher? One in a billion trillion. That's actually a fact. That's a fact. You see, evolutionists typically rely on mathematical probabilities. They rarely talk about what those probabilities are. What they just say is, well, if you give, if you give, uh, if you give enough time, if you provide enough time in the cosmos, and if you allow for enough mutations to happen over enough time, then life will eventually uh, emerge. And, uh, but it takes, uh, by the way, to, just to form a simple 200-component living organism. And that's considered a very simple, minuscule, just, it has 200 components. That's a minimal uh, kind of organism. that can, Just for that kind of organism to exist, which you can't build life on, you can just recognize that it is an organism that is, uh, that is alive. And, okay, 200 components, very simple, uh, not complex in the ultimate sense. For that kind of organism to spring to life, it would take 200 plus successive what we call mutations. And by the way, the mutations would all have to be positive mutations. It doesn't even factor in the fact that there's an equal opportunity for bad mutations to happen, which would completely destroy the organism. But, but, and, and scientists know that it is rare to have positive mutations. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they're unlimited time, um, successive, all the mutations will be successful, and uh, come together and put together this um, simple organism from which hopefully other more aggressive organisms could eventually, with more millions of years, develop and so forth until finally uh, 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 some kind of creature could come from that. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. So uh, you, all the time you need, uh, the mutations will all work in your favor, and, and from that will produce a simple organism. You know how long it would take? And they've calculated it. I saw, when I was reading the article, I saw how many zeros. One, the chance is one in a billion trillion. Now, you say, so you're saying there's a chance. No, actually, um, mathematically, that is uh, impossible. A billion trillion is impossible. But you won't ever hear that when an evolutionist speaks because they've already decided that's how we got here. So they'll just say, given enough time. Let me tell you, let me show you how, what it would be like. If I took this watch and I took all the pieces apart, which would take a while, you know, springs and all that kind of stuff in the watch. I took all, every single piece of it apart and said, do you think if we had all the parts there that we need, if we put those in a shoebox and we shook it, how long would it take before they all came back together, screwed themselves together, were in the right place and everything to start working? How long would it take? You, time's not the issue. How long? Here we go. Uh, uh, there. You know it would never happen. It can't happen. Why? Because these pieces are put in place by intelligent design. There was a designer behind the watch. The designer didn't say, I think, wouldn't it be great if we could have 
uh, people could wear time on their arm. I, here's all these parts. Let's put them in the box, and let's hope that a watch comes out of it. It's absurd. But that is what the probabilities say, that you are a product of chance. That all the parts just worked perfectly, and in enough time, the box just kept shaking, and voila, you came out, the springs went in the right place, the screws went in the right place, and all that. That's how absurd it is. But it is commonly accepted. Now, virtually everything science and scientists know is based upon a universally accepted method known as the scientific method. Now, you should have learned this in high school. How many of you learned the, the scientific method? There are four parts of the scientific method, and probably it would be wise just to raise your hand even if you didn't learn it because, you know, you should have. All of us, that, that's one of the, you're taught that in high school, a science and biology and whatever science courses you take. Four, uh, 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 there are four essential parts to the scientific method. Uh, and so for something to be established as a scientific fact, it has to be verified by these four steps. What are they? I'm glad you asked. Here they are. Number one, scientists must be able to observe what is going on around them. So they have to be able to observe it. Now, here's the problem with evolution. You can't do that. Because scientists confess that evolution happened in the past. No one was there to observe the chemicals changing into a single cell organism. So how do they know it happened? See, they don't. It's their belief. It is their story. It's not a fact. It's just a theory. Okay? That's scientific, scientific law number one, that science must be able to observe what's going on around them. S second, number two, a scientist must develop a hypothesis or a theory to explain his observation. You say, ah, but we have a theory. Evolution's a theory. But actually, the theory was created without the evidence because you couldn't observe it. Number one says you got to observe it to come up with a theory. But since they couldn't observe it, they just came up with a theory anyway. So they've already violated the two, first two uh, uh, laws of the scientific method. Number three, scientists must be able to test their hypothesis or theory with experimentation. <laughs> Can't do that with evolution because you can't even observe it. So you can't do that. You can't test the hypothesis or the theory with experimentation. I, I heard about, um, you know, some years ago, they, they were able to clone in the laboratory. You know, they cloned the sheep. Dolly was the first that they cloned, and they cloned a number of other things. And, and, and by the way, they've, uh, they've brought together these chemical elements and amino acids, proteins, and they've learned how to create some little microscopic, what they call living organisms. And they say, we've done it in the lab. We've created it. Think about that for a second. It tells you it took intelligence to do that. It didn't just happen because you said, there's a laboratory. Hopefully, life will spring up. You had intelligent people knowing what they had to have to put the watch together, right? But anyway, I heard kind of a uh, little tongue-in-cheek thing about uh, two scientists after they uh, had been involved in the cloning process. They challenged God to a, a, um, a, a man creation contest. God said, you're on. And they began the contest, and um, God said, let's start with dirt. You know, the Bible says God created man from the dust. So they said, let's start with dirt. And the scientists reached over, and they picked, down, picked up a handful of dirt. And before they could go any further, God said, get your own dirt. Y'all did better in the first hour. <laughs> Colin Patterson he was a senior paleontologist at the British Museum of Natural History. That's a fascinating museum, but it is highly focused on uh, evolution. I've been through it. But Colin Patterson, no longer uh, the, the head of, of that museum, but, but for years he was a senior paleontologist at the British Museum of Natural History. I've got an incredible paper that he delivered it's, a, it's an exact replica of his speech that he delivered to an international conclave on evolution. Science, scientists had come in, and I'll, I'll share a quote with you next week as we finish this up. But uh, in, that, um, in that message uh, to them, he says this, 
and I quote, it is easy enough to make up stories of how one form gave rise to another and to find reasons why the stages should be favored by natural selection. Are y'all with me? Do you get what he's saying? But here's how he ends that statement. But such stories are not a part of science, for there's no way of putting them to the test. By the way, he's an evolutionist. He was an atheist. But he said you can't test the theory, just like the law three says. And then here's a fourth uh, statement related to the scientific method. Scientists need to be able to repeat the experiment with the same consistent results. Can't do it with evolution. You, so you see, when these steps are applied to evolution, it becomes very clear that the evolutionary theory doesn't hold up to, to the very test that scientists requires of a theory. The truth is evolution is nothing more than an opinionated theory. In fact, it is, for some, it is their faith. Uh, it is a story designed to be affirmed and a position that is assumed by those who hold to the position of evolution. Now, uh, people may say this, but isn't, isn't Christianity, isn't that kind of like the faith thing? Uh, it takes faith to believe in evolution. Do you, you get it? It takes faith to believe in Christianity, right? I'll admit that. I want them to admit, though, it takes faith to believe in evolution. You see, the fact is, listen, people, all of us are biased. The question is not, are we biased? The question is, which bias is the best bias to be biased with? Uh, that's the question. And the reason that many have swallowed the myth of evolution, at least it, that is being propagated for years now in our culture, is because they don't like the alternative. The alternative says, essentially, if we didn't get here by random chance, then there was a creator. And if there's a creator, uh-oh. If there's a creator, he has the right to set the rules of creation. Uh-oh. Are you with me? That's the alternative. You only have those alternatives. We're either a product of chance or we're the product of intelligent design. And if, if we're the product of intelligent design, then the evolutionist has to bend their scientific rules to affirm their evolutionary beliefs. H.S. Lipson, professor of physics at the University of Manchester, said this, listen, and I quote, evolution became, in a sense, a scientific religion. Almost all, his words, almost all scientists have accepted it, and many are prepared to bend their observations to fit in with it. In other words, if this is what I've, I reference Colin Patterson. I'll give you a more direct quote next, next week, but Colin Patterson, curator, uh, head paleontologist of the British Museum of Natural History. In that same conclave of these uh, scientists, he said this, you know, men, for years we've been, we've been uh, studying evolution, we've been studying the fossil record, we've been studying all these things. This, I mean, this, these are the heavyweights. And he said, uh, you know, trying to essentially build a case for evolution, and he said, after 20 years of doing it, he said, I've come to the conclusion there's not a shred of evidence to support it. But then, you know what he added? He said, nonetheless, it's what I've chosen to believe because the alternative isn't acceptable. How is that for saying, I, <clears throat> I don't care what other facts are out there. I'm going to accept this one because I don't like the other alternative. Folks, that's where, you, that's where we are. And that's why you say, well, okay, all right, so, so, so be it. And that leads me to the second thing and the last thing that I want to show you this morning. And that is then... What are the implications of, what are the unspoken implications of evolution? And you need to get this. Listen, very serious. You need to understand this. You realize that when you boil it all down, evolution is the worship of man. Look at verse 23. And they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. When you, all, when you boil it all down, Evolution is merely the worship of man. It's the elevation of humanity over any kind of greater intelligence. That's the, 
That's the overall unspoken implication. It's a kind of humanism that, that worships uh, a man as the measure of all things. So what is, and this is on your outline, the name, so what is salt? What is salt? The first thing we talk about, what is taught? What is salt? What is the reason for, for adopting this thing? What, what is salt as the outcome of believing this myth? Well, what is salt is to imply that there is no creator. That's the ultimate, that's the ultimate goal of evolution. There's just no creator. And, and if you are simply the product of time and chance, and there's no creator, and the idea of God can be dismissed or denied, then anything God has to say is irrelevant to life. Because you say, well, I, well there is no God. I, I'm a product of chance. And that's serious. Listen carefully. The implications, while they're not stated, go beyond just how you were formed. They carry with it the details of how you live. They carry with it the details of life. I'm going to close by giving you three of these implications that are unspoken, but are the natural product of accepting the idea that we, are, uh, we, we got here by chance. We're, we're cosmic accidents. What are they? Number one, if it is true... If evolution is true and there is no creator, then there is no absolute moral code to live by. Remember, when you boil down evolution to the basic idea, the Darwinian idea is this, that whoever is the strongest survives, survival of the fittest. And so the unspoken implication is that there's no absolute moral code. If there's no creator, there's no governing moral laws except for those that emerge by human need or human power or human perspective so that whoever has the most power gets to determine what's right and wrong. So the moral code can be adjusted by whoever's got the power, whoever's in control. Does that make sense? By the way, does that sound like the culture you're living in? That's an implication of evolution. We don't talk about those things. We just talk about it purely from the mechanics of how, where we form, how did we get here. But it has far-reaching implications that are never talked about. That's one of them. There's no moral code. If I'm a product of chance, your rules don't apply to me if I don't want them to. And if I can beat you up or beat you into submission, you've got to comply with my rules. Sir Arthur Keith, a well-known evolutionist, a well-known evolutionist, in his books, Evolution in Ethics, he talks about how people who believe in evolution, and he's an evolutionist, he talks about how people who believe in evolution will eventually and consistently be affected in their beliefs and actions. Their behaviors will be affected. And he speaks of how Hitler's actions were consistent with his belief as an evolutionist. Did you know Hitler was an evolutionist? Hitler believed in survival of the fittest. Do you know what Hitler believed? He believed that the Aryan race was superior. And so if they were superior, what they did is try to kill off anything inferior. And they believed that the Jews were not human, that they were inferior. Killed six million of them, trying to wipe them off the planet. And Sir Arthur Keith, this evolutionist, he writes in his book, listen, and I'm, I'll just read you what he wrote. He said, to see evolutionary measures applied vigorously to the affairs of a great modern nation, all we need to do is turn to the Germany of 1942. And there we see Hitler devoutly convinced that evolution produces the only real basis for national policy. Government, remember the rules thing we just talked about? Whoever has the power makes the rules. This means... He goes on to say that Hitler adopt, uh, adapted uh, or adopted this philosophy to secure the destiny of his race and his people, and the result was organized slaughter of others, which drenched Europe in blood. Such conduct, he writes, is highly immoral as measured by every scale of ethics, yet Germany justified it. It is consistent with evolutionary morality. Germany reverted to the tribal past and demonstrated to the world in their naked ferocity the methods of evolution. He, he's saying exactly what, what the implications are. If you're, and he's an evolutionist. Eventually, evolution, uh, evolution adopted will lead to a culture who loses its ethical morals. 
So they had no ethical or moral code to govern them. Uh, Number two, here's an unspoken implication. There's no purpose to your life. How's that? There's no purpose to your life. Now think about it. If there's no creator and you're here just because of chance and your life has no ultimate point, nothing you do has any lasting significance. You're just a, if you're just a product of chance because there's no creator, you weren't designed with any significance. You just happened to be part of the chain, the food chain that survived, and that's it. You just rose to the top of the food chain because, you know, there is no God. There was no uh, 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 intentional design, which flies in the face of Jeremiah 1, and, uh, that, where Jeremiah said, before you knew me, you formed me. In my mother's womb, I was formed. Before you ever, you ever brought me to be, you formed me. And um, you designed me to be a prophet to the nation. You know what he was saying? He was saying, you designed me with purpose. Before my, my, my body ever came in this world, you had, already, you had already formed me. Now listen, if we're nothing more than high-class chimpanzees that got here by accident, we're the product of chance, then our life has no greater significance than a plant or an animal does. By the way, there was a Harvard professor several years ago that argued well, that's all we are, it's high-class animals. And so uh, anytime a, a child has a deformity and is born with a deformity, it should easily be killed if the parents don't want to deal with it. Because it's just a, a high-class animal. Harvard professor argued that that ought to be the case. You ought to have the freedom to say, I don't want that child, kill it. We're kind of doing that anyway in another way. Hello? In age we're living. You know, I look at my grandson. Gosh, what a cutie. And he's, he's watching us right now. Everybody say, hello, Bodie. Hello, Bodie. But man, I look at him. He's been playing in the snow all week. They're socked in. Went sledding for the first time. So cool watching him cackle as he goes down the hill sledding all by himself. His dad just let him go. There he goes. He did great. And, uh, but he turns to the camera at one point in time. He looks at his mama and he, he says, I'm so happy. I want to tell you something. When I look at him, I say, that, that's an accident? Ask some mom, your kid an accident? Look at that child. Look around you in this building. You may say, well, I'm the only one intentional. Everybody else in here is an accident. No. Wow. You were created. And if, if you don't have a creator and, and you're just a product of chance, you just got here, you're just lucky. You're one of the lucky ones. That's how we'd say it. And your life has no significance. And by the way, if there is no creator, the unborn is viewed as tissue rather than a fetus or a life. That's just fetus. Uh, if, if there's no creator, the elderly become a drain on society and too expensive to care for. We're already hearing that. Have y'all noticed that? We're already hearing that at a certain point. There are those ethicists, if you will. I'm, I think that's an insult to call them that. But there are those who are, are saying, you know what? It's getting too expensive to take care of sick people. And at a certain, we may need to start thinking that at a certain age, we just go ahead and, and just uh, help them kind of slide on out. Because otherwise, they're going to be a drain on the rest of us, a drain on society. That's, that is an implication that, that forms from this. Or, or that the terminally ill are not worth saving. Well, they're going to die anyway. Let's don't, let's, why should we put uh, uh, thousands of dollars into saving them? Because they're going to die anyway. Hello, i got news for you. All of us are going to die. In fact, let me say it this way. Everybody in this room is terminally ill. It's not a matter of you going to die. It's just a matter of when. But you see, if there's no creator and life has no value, then What's the big deal? And so they formed these, they're forming what some are referring to as death panels, medical experts, and some people that aren't even in the medical to start evaluating what kind of care do you give somebody that is terminally ill. God, help us. But that's where it goes when a culture swallows this, and many in the church today have swallowed this lie. Uh, one more thing. I'm almost done. Y'all hang on. 
another unspoken implication is that there's no eternity. If there's no creator, then there's no spiritual destination. There's no heaven or, or hell. And when, you, when you're gone, you're just gone. And if there's no eternity, listen to this, there's no accountability. And if that's the truth, then as the old saying goes, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You see, if you're just a product of chance, there's no eternity. If there's no creator, there's no eternity. And there's no accountability. If there's no creator, guess what? Sin gets redefined. It gets redefined according to the whim and the behavior and the power and the authority and the action of those who have gained enough platform to determine what is acceptable and what's not. That's what happens. So sexual perversities become alternative lifestyles, not sinful behavior. Adultery becomes just a tryst or a quick fling without any big repercussion. Ethics become circumstantial and self-centered. In other words, doing the right thing by some absolute standard is just simply disregarded and replaced with the idea of whatever works in the moment is okay. Marriage can then be redefined to accommodate the dysfunction. That way, there's no need to feel guilty or be culturally uh, inappropriately labeled. You see, if there's no creator and there is no accountability, then everyone can do what it says in the book of Judges. They can do what's right in their own eyes. Does that make sense? Do you see the serious implications of this myth? Now, you may have never thought about evolution this way, but you should. Because there's a whole lot more going on in the myth that you're simply a product of natural selection and chance. So maybe you've never thought about it that way. You've never thought that it's a big deal, but friend, it's a big deal. And I hope it's clear and, and becoming more clear to you. The only way, however, to counter a lie is with truth. And next week, I'm going to talk with you uh, specifically about the truth. Why did God create you? There are some reasons God created you, the way he made you, the way he made you, the way he created you. But this morning, I want to close by asking you this word. Do you know the truth? Now, I've just given you the myth, but do you know the truth? Now, let me tell you what the truth is. The truth is a person, Jesus Christ. You know, in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, Jesus' words, I am the way, Y'all know the rest of that? The truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, I've told you this for 20 years, but I want it to always be in your brain. When it says the way, the truth, the life, in the Greek, the is in what we, is the definite article. Definite meaning this, I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. It's not I am a way. I am a truth. I am a life. It is I am the truth. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It'll set you free from the bondage of sin. It'll also set you free from believing the lies that the enemy of your soul wants you to believe. So do you know the truth? You're not a product of chance. You are the product of our loving Lord, the truth, Jesus Christ, who formed you with an eternal purpose. I told you I would close with this passage, Psalm 139, 14 through 16. Listen to what David said. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My fr- look, Listen to this. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book, and were, uh, uh, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were, no, there were none of them. Did you get that? I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. My frame was hidden. Uh, was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, I love this, in your book were written for me. Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. 
Did you see that? You know what David understood? He understood that his formation was divinely crafted. And so was yours. You're not the product of chance. You're not a watch, a box full of watch parts that was shaken enough and finally came together. You're not some tadpole that crawled out of some prehistoric soup that had been struck by lightning. God loved you and created you before you ever came into this world with purpose and design. Praise God for that. Your life has value and meaning because you are divinely crafted. David also understood that his destination was divinely calendared. Did you get that? I love the end of that, that passage where he says, all the days of my life were written in your book before there were ever one of them. Now, let me just say this. Let me just insert this. There's so many people living in fear today. Chuck preached a great message on fearless faith a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't listen to it, you need to go listen to it. There's so many people that are living by fear instead of by faith. Now, I didn't ask you to go out and live stupid. There are plenty of people doing that, too. Here's what I want you to understand, though. Your life has already been written in the book of God. Before there was ever one day, he said, they were all written in the book. Now, I, I, be smart, you know. Let's be smart. We're going to continue to be smart, and I have all the. But don't live in fear. Walk in faith. Look, God forbid, you might lose a battle with COVID. I, I, I pray not. We haven't lost but just a few people in this congregation to it. Thank God Almighty. But listen, you can't live by fear. You've got to walk in faith. Be smart. Do all the things. Wear your mask. Uh, proto, uh, uh, you know, separate. All that kind of stuff. I'm for all of that, but I'm not for living by fear. Because all the days of my life were written in his book before there was ever one of them. And so, let me just l let you in on something. I heard a statistic that of uh, all the fatal skiing accidents all the fatal skiing accidents, 100% of them occurred on the skier's last trip down the mountain. <laughs> Was that a courtesy laugh? Now, I tell you that to say this. Something's going to get you. It may be old age. It may be a disease. God forbid we're in a fallen world. All of these things are in play, all right? But our eternity is sure in Him. Something may get you. I told our deacons back in August, I had COVID in September. I don't want to have it again. But I told our deacons in August, long before I had it, I said this in a deacons meeting. I said to them, look, COVID might get me. I'm a diabetic. I'm considered a high-risk category except for I have to be in, I, I, I just happen to be in such great physical shape. I need to land this plane, don't I? But I told them this, and I mean this. So I said, guys, it may get me. If it does, don't let it rock your faith. Don't let it terrify you. Be smart, be sane, but folks, our eternity is secure. And by the way, if you got symptoms, don't come. But do you understand what I'm saying? Your days have been written down before you ever lived one of them. Something's going to get you. It, it may be old age. It may be disease. It may be COVID. God forbid any, you know, I, I hope you live a long life. But your days have been written down. Something, eventually, we're all going out. We're all leaving this place. Right? Yeah, praise the Lord. So, let faith, because you are special creation. He loves you. Put your faith in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that our hope is in you. Thank you that we are not some product of chance. But we are the product of a loving God who designed us and crafted us with purpose. I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, if I didn't believe that, if I didn't trust you, if I hadn't experienced the reality of you in my life, Father, I, 
I'd, I'd walk out of here and never do this again. But I thank you, Lord, that, that our lives were set in motion before we ever came into existence. And right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around this place, can I ask you, do you know the truth? Do you know Jesus Christ? If you don't today, you can. Those of you who are joining us by live stream, you can receive him right now today. He loves you so much. You were carefully and wonderfully crafted by him. You didn't evolve. And so if you'd like to meet him, you say, I'm not sure, but I want to know him, the God who created me with purpose and design and loves me. I want to know him. He loves you so much call out to him right now. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the scripture says, and you can do it. Lord Jesus, right now I call on you. I know I need you. I, Father, I, I'm not, I, I know who you are, but I'm not sure I've ever trusted you. Today I trust you. I call on you to be my Savior. Thank you for creating me. I know you designed me with purpose. I want to live in that purpose. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I receive your forgiveness and your work on the cross for me, and I invite you to be my Savior, and I'll look to you for what you are, my Creator and God. Thank you. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, I know him, I know him, but I, I forgot how subtle the myths have moved in and taken over uh, the, what I believe and affected even my behavior, my outlook on things. And just tell God this morning, say, God, I'm sorry for allowing even a half part of the myth to regulate the way I think. I recognize you are my creator, and I want to live in the power of the Spirit of God operating in my life every day, looking to you. No matter what the world may say, no matter what may be taught, I know truth, and that truth is in you. Father, thank you for again for our opportunity to see truth from your word. Now let it resonate in our lives, Father, as we walk that truth in the midst of a world who has separated itself so frequently from the truth of God. Help us to live it, God, though, that others may see it in our family, our workplaces, wherever we are, that we would stand on truth, not, not pick fights, none of that, Lord, just stand and live the truth in love for the glory of your good name. And for our sake, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look this way before we're gone. Thank you for being here uh, today. And perhaps you made a decision. You called on the Lord. You uh, called to receive him, maybe in this live audience or by live stream. We'd, we would love to know that you called out to God. And there are a couple of ways you can do it. In this live audience, you can take the worship folder on the back, so tear off panel, and you can just check. I, I prayed uh, to receive Christ. Or maybe there's another decision for you. You say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest. I'm not a member here, but I want to be a member of this congregation and this family. We would love to have you. We're not perfect. I'm not a perfect pastor, but we are a healthy church, and we'd love to have you as a part of it. And so you just check the box, join. Maybe you need to be baptized. We'll schedule a time for you to be baptized. Just check that. Drop that tear-off panel in the offering baskets on the way out. For those of you watching by live stream, you'll see a number on your screen, 334-384-8080. And would you do something for us? If you're a guest, text that word to us. I've been a guest today in the service. Text that word to us. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ as your Savior today, to trust Him, text the word pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, to that same number. Or maybe you say, I want to join Ridgecrest. There's coming a day I'm going to be back in that place and I want that to be my church family. The word join to that same number, 334-384-8080. We'll take it from there. Don't you worry about it. Uh, but I hope uh, that you'll let us know about your decision. Scores and scores of people. And every week we have people being added to the kingdom of God and added to this family of believers. We'd love for you to be one of those. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here. Chuck, you've got it.